So uh, we're hitting a series this, this month on emotions, emotions that are particularly in Psalms. And last week we talked about loneliness, and I think it hit home because every single one of us has experienced loneliness and are experiencing loneliness. And it's not about Facebook friends, Instagram likes. It's not about how many people, I, how many parties I go to, socials. All of that really doesn't matter. You could genuinely still be lonely. And loneliness is a symptom ultimately of a broken relationship with God, as all these negative emotions were. There was never loneliness in the Garden of Eden. Today, we're going to talk about fear. The fears that we feel, the fears that consume us, the fears that linger even when we close our eyes at nighttime. So in the spirit of Veterans Weekend, uh, George, General George Patton, uh, one of the greatest generals in America, uh, was highly praised by someone who said, General, you are incredibly brave and courageous. And he responded, Sir, I am not a brave man. The truth is, I am an utter craven coward. I have never been within the sound of a gunshot or in sight of battle in my whole life that I wasn't so scared that I had sweat in the palms of my hands. Years later, he wrote an autobiography and the significant statement was in there. He said, he writes, I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. What that means in plain English is, I am, I am always afraid. What I've learned though is, I don't let fear determine and guide my behavior and actions. Everybody is afraid at one point. Could you just say, I get afraid, just for humor me? We all get afraid. And fear is something that's real. Fear is something that's prevalent. Fear is something that happens to all of us. These are the emotions that Psalm writes about, particularly David. The origin of fear comes from the broken relationship with Jesus Christ and God. Who can recall the first time fear is mentioned in the Bible? The Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, you could eat from anything in here. Just don't eat from that tree. And then once they rebelled against God and said, hey, we could be like God, and they ate, what's the first thing they discovered? I am naked, and they hid. They covered themselves up with fig leaves. And then what happened? God was walking in through the garden, and they heard God walking, so they hid. Adam, where are you? I was afraid, and so I hid. It's, ama it's amazing, this broken relationship with God. Fear all points to the symptom of the disease. It stems from you have a broken relationship with God, and that's why... We have fear in the world today. Um, just last Sunday, we, we just saw this whole thing about the shooting in Texas. And now churches are starting to have a little tinge, uptick in fear. Uh, just to give you a peace of mind, um, fear, some things we can do proactively is some of the men said, hey, can we get together and talk about this? So we said, yeah. So we met at Polly's Pies and we're having some safety security plans in place. We're going to have somebody out there. We're going to get walkie-talkies. Uh, we're going to be a little bit more strategic about, hey, how do we prevent anything? We got kids in room five that doesn't have an exit. And so we started thinking about let's prepare. Let's not be afraid, but let's prepare. And let's not live in fear, but let's live in something greater than that. 
And so this is why this topic hits home in every way. Far be it from us to not gather in church for the sake of these kind of incidents. Far be it from us to never get out because of fear of violence. And so these are the things, the reason why we're talking about this today. But I want to hit, kind of shift into this. Is there a difference between fear and anxiety? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John, our songwriter. There's a difference between fear and anxiety. What some of you think is fear is anxiety. Fear is this. A snake pops up. How do you feel? If you're me, I'm going to scream like a little four-year-old girl, jump like 20 feet in the air, go, ah! That's fear. Fear is a sudden reaction to something that scares you at that moment. It's immediate. It's tangible. It's right here and now. Two days later, I'm sleeping in bed. I wake up with sweats dripping and I'm like, oh, I wake up startled because I'm still struck by the fear of that snake. That's anxiety. Fear is its immediate reaction to something dangerous to you. Anxiety is this prevailing, it's this, it's this ethereal, it's not real, but it just keeps consuming you. And these are the two things that David is saying he's experiencing both. So some of you, I'm experiencing this. So I, I have an example of this. Michelle, uh, when she was four years old, we came to California. We went to Ikea. I've experienced fear for the first time in recent years in such a weird capacity. Uh, my wife and I are looking at curtains in Ikea, and we're like, Jamie, Ethan, Michelle, five minutes. Michelle escalating. Michelle yelling, Michelle, sweat stripping, blood's pumping, we're telling, we lost our daughter, my wife is like, like just, just paralyzed, and my imagination is wandering, who took her, what happened, and you know, did you ever have that feeling, I mean, that was the most scared I got in a long time, five minutes later, just like clock, she goes, peekaboo, <laughs> what were you doing, she was like, I was hiding, Oh, it was, I wanted to strangle her. So, fear is that moment where we thought we lost her. Anxiety looks like this. Because of that moment, I'm going to walk to school with you, and I'm going to stay by the parking lot. I'm going to think about you all day, and you're not going anywhere. Anxiety is this overwhelming, super helicopter parenting, and like, I can never let this happen again. That's not good parenting. Plain and simple, that's anxiety. And that's not for the love of her. That's for love of yourself, for unable to distinguish and handle your own fears. And so this is a key thing that we want to talk about. And David in Psalm 55 experiences both fear and anxiety. And so let's talk about it. Verse 1, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. David goes to God. I got an issue here. I need to talk to you about God. And notice how fear affects David. Verse 2 and 3. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. He's afraid, and he's tormented, and he also has anxiety because there's enemies rising up all around him. You ever feel like that? People are just ready to take you down. Ready? You go to school, work, or neighbors, or family, Thanksgiving dinner, you feel like, oh, somebody, they're going to try to always do something terrible. Verse 4, listen to this. My heart 
is in anguish within me. That's a strong language. My, the terrors of death have fallen on me. And just like when I lost Michelle, that was a terror. But it lasted, thank God, five minutes. If it stays with me for the rest of my life, this is a different kind of terror. This is anxiety. And um, studies have shown when we have fear, our bodies are affected. Did you know, just like loneliness affects your brain, last week we talked about that, you get loss of empathy and you're self-centered. This is what fear does to you. When you get afraid, studies have shown the decision-making becomes negative, leaving us susceptible to intense emotions and impulsive reactions. All of these effects can leave us unable to act appropriately. Mental health problems. Other consequences of long-term fear include fatigue, clinical depression, and PTSD. So fear affects you physiologically and mentally. And David, what he's describing here is when he says, my heart is in anguish, there's a physiological thing happening because of his mental as well as a real issue. And he's facing this real danger. Verse 5, Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Now, just pause right there. I just want us to be encouraged that the Bible is so real with this. It doesn't say, when you're afraid, cheer up. When you're afraid, look on the bright side of life. You know, Monty Python. When you, when you, when you, when you get discouraged, just go put in a new song. It's all good. You know, it, it, I love how Psalm says, like, this is scary, and my, my life feels like it's shredding apart. And could you just take a deep breath and say, don't just be like, just think, I'm not alone. This has been around for humanity. So I like how David goes into the next part of Psalm, and he says this. This is how he wants to respond. Verse 6 and 8, can you tell me what he's thinking of? I said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. What is the intuitive response that we usually do when we have troubles in our life? What, what do we want to do? Run away. It helps sometimes. But there's the same, where you go, there you are. You know, with anxiety, it's in you. Anxiety, it's, it's, it's this disturbing nature in us. And sometimes, you know, I just want to start all over again, honey. Let's go to Idaho. Idaho. Actually, I, I said to my wife, because I'm an adventurer, I like different things. Hey, what if I go to Montana? And my wife is like, that's not funny. <laughs> so, so running away, avoiding it, hiding it. Does that ever work for you in your life? There's a problem and terror, so you just avoid it and run away? No. And so David realizes that's not going to work. So he goes on to verse 9. Lord, confuse the wicked. Confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. His next prayer is, God, just confuse them. Do something to the enemies. And then this is a problem that David's sharing here. And this is what breaks my heart. And you ready for this? This is how David gets real. Do you know who David's enemies were in chapter 55? Was it the Philistines? Was it, those, was it those idol worshipers? Do you know what? Do you know who he was terrified of? Do you know who was giving his torment? Listen to this in verse 12 and 14. And I want you guys to say, wow, I could relate to the Bible and the Bible relates to me. 
He says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. So if somebody says, you know, you're a jerk, I'm like, oh, that hurts, but I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide it. David's saying, hey, enemies are meant to attack me, but check this out. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship in the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Who is his enemy? The people he worshipped with, he went to church with, temple with, he grew up with, his close companion. Can you say amen if people that hurt you the most were actually those people who were closest to you? You know, this is why relationships are hard, and the people that scarred us the most, nine times out of ten, are not random strangers. They're acquaintances and relatives. And the people that David's afraid of and terrified by are those not outside his Jerusalem walls, but they're inside his walls. So take a moment, just pause right here as a church. Sometimes the greatest enemy to the church are not atheists or other religions. It's us to one another. The people we get afraid of most are those that bite each other in the back. And so for that, this is a separate sermon, but we got to repent and humble ourselves and recognize not what I'm getting out of things, but how am I hurting others potentially? And when we can start humbling ourselves to that first, then we can start seeing a community that looks like what Christ intended. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's, this is where... So David's... So how does David overcome it and this is where i just want to kind of just share it and there's so many different ways and and i'm trying to get practical here i wanted to see if there's any practical things so the first thing david does verse 16 as for me in the fear and terror what do i do i call to god someone say call to god i call to god and the lord saves me david knows who his rescuer is david is king and i appreciate that he doesn't go i'm the king here i could kill all these people i appreciate he doesn't do that i appreciate how david doesn't realize he is the rescuer of himself but his rescuer in face of fear is always going to be the god who rescued him all his life so this is where david humbles himself and says god i call to you you're the one who could save and um david does something to fear with this by doing that and so i want to share this cool thing i learned as I prepare for this, like, could there be a way fear could look delicious and positive to you? I mean, could there be a possibility of a way to look at fear in a way where we say, ooh, this is a good thing? Um, and so somebody share this and, and just use this ana- analogy of a scarecrow. What, what are scarecrows afraid of in a cornfield? I mean, I'm sorry. I just totally blew my life. Yeah, so the crows are afraid of scarecrows. So somebody used this metaphor and said this. A wise bird knows that a scarecrow is simply, it's an advertisement. It's an invitation. Just think about that. A wise bird knows that when they see a scarecrow, it's an invitation because there's something good there. And that's why the farmer set it up, to keep them away. It announces that some very juicy and delicious fruit is hiding for the picking. There are scarecrows in all the 
best garden. So if you have a poor garden, do you put a scarecrow in there? You're like, uh, I don't even like my garden. But if you have a juicy fruit, you like get these birds away, right? So a scarecrow who's wise, a scarecrow, I keep saying that, a crow, who's wise, looks at a scarecrow and says, hmm, it's like a beacon, come. It's like the McDonald's sign. I am wise too. If I am wise, I too shall treat the scarecrow as though it were an invitation. Every giant in the way which makes me feel like a grasshopper is only a scarecrow beckoning me to God's richest blessing. He concluded, faith is a bird which loves to perch on scarecrows. All our fears are groundless. What, if, what would it look like if you lived in a way where things that make you afraid, things that kept you away from following God or moving forward, things that kept you running away were actually opportunities where God could walk and run with you. And one by one, as you overcome them, you see a blessing in disguise opening up new doors. You know, somebody wrote a book called, you know, like, I forget, but they wrote a line in there like, the first bravest person must be the guy who ate sushi for the first time. Like, who thinks, let me eat this raw sushi. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of courage that takes these things in, but once you discover it, it opens up new doors. What if the things that are holding us back are the things that maybe we perceive as fear, but God is saying, this is where I want you to go. Remember Moses? Moses, go back and deliver your people, but that's Pharaoh. I don't know how to speak. I will go with you. But it was in, to that fear that Moses saw the power of God working in his life, to see the Red Sea part. And a lot of us don't see the opportunities for God to do his work in us because we don't see the opportunity that God has for us, but we run away. So David says this in Psalm 3.3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. And he says in there, God, you're my shield. And I love, uh, Tim Keller shared about this. And there's two kinds of shield. There's like a little shield that does this, like bang, bang. You, it's a defensive. But the Romans, do you know what their shield looked like? It was this big door looking thing. And they lock arm to arm and they push forward. When he says, God, you are my shield, the only way for the shield to protect you is not to run away because you get shot. But what do you do with the shield? Locked arm in arm, following the general, you walk into the danger, and in so you're protected. But once you start fleeing from it, you're vulnerable. And so David writes, God, you are my shield. And so we pray, so we move into wherever fearful things there are, and we say, God, I call to you, and with you here, I can enter in. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. And he says, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because I am so strong and smart and brave. No, because for your shepherd's rod, your staff, they protect me. So how do we address fear? We call on the Lord and we go into it and intentionally we run into it with God. And then David does the second thing, verse 22. What do I do with these fears that are real, though? He says, cast your cares on the Lord. Really practical? This really helps, and Rooted has been phenomenal for this. The things that are causing you anxiety right now, you're thinking about it. Things that have been causing you fear, finance, life, future, family, relatives, relationships, jobs. How you practically cast your cares on the Lord is this. Get a journal and start writing out your prayers by hand. 
When people say, oh, I pray in the car, I, that's great. Keep your eyes open, though. And, but when you go home, there's something powerful about writing out these cares to the Lord and then sharing it, reminding it. And here's what happens. When you cast your cares to the Lord, say, God, I am giving my fear of my financial burdens, my friendships, my relationship with my children or my parents, and you're writing it out, two things you can do. You could actually share with people, this is what I've been praying about, what's been bugging me. Second thing is, you can see on the road how God has met you in these moments and how he's walked with you through it. And so David says, cast your cares to the Lord. Some of psychologists totally agree the best treatment for anxiety and fear is not avoidance, but gradually exposing patients to the fears. And we're going to go right into it as a church. Whatever fearful things there are in our lives that paralyze us, in the Lord's strength, what does it look like to go right into it? So lastly, um, David says this, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. What David says here is this. He's shifting his worries from people to God. Today, do you think people are afraid of God I say, unfortunately, I don't think they are. Because when you look at, like, Simpsons TV shows or Family Guy or movies, they make God look like such a fool, like a dope, right? I mean, this society makes God look such, like, sheepish. And then when there's Jesus, he's just this nice guy. And so we don't fear God in a, in a, in a proper way with reverence and awe. And what David's doing here is this. Let me put this into perspective. I have enemies that are real. But who am I really afraid of? And he brings it back to my greater fear is not these enemies. God, I am in awe and fear of you. Not because he's angry, but because he's God. Uh, where do I get this thought? Jesus actually says this. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. And this applies to the shooting. This applies to violence and around lives. Jesus, his own words, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Did you hear that? Should we be afraid of terrorists? We should be wise, but we ultimately should be afraid of something even more than that. Should we be afraid of murder? Like, if we live our lives like that, we may never go out. Jesus is saying here, do not be afraid of those who could kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, so who should I be afraid of, Jesus? Listen to this. Be afraid of the one who can destroy the body, soul, and throw it into hell. Who is this? God. When we reshift our fears from people to God, guess what it does to the fear of people? It looks so dinky. So David's confidence and trust is you're the judge. You're the God. My fear and trust of you is greater than my fear of people. And so he shifts that into that. And this is where Jesus says in John 16, 33, if you can do that and trust me, he says, I have told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. Ironically, to fear God and Jesus Christ with our lives will lead to peace in this world for you because he is the God who is in control. Cancer, murderers could take my body, but they cannot take my soul. And David knew that. And so his confidence in God rises. I just want to end with this like, real practical way and, and, and just end with the story. Um, I do get afraid of cancer. You know, my parents are 80 years old. My dad's turning 80. So I said this to you before, but when I get a phone call from my brother in New Jersey, 
I always hesitate, like, please be good news. Please be good news. And so there's this fear of, like, is my dad and mom, are they okay? And then this gave me perspective. In my home church, there was a sister, friend's sister, who uh, married a guy named Young Min. And he was a young guy, successful, business, godly man. And just one of those guys where you're like, he is an image of what it means to be a Christ follower. He had three young kids. After their third one, he was diagnosed with cancer at like 33. And so my, my, my lifelong friend from my home church, she's just devastated. And they're walking through this cancer. And in this case, he did not get healed. And so about mid-30s, he died. And this is what she wrote to all the friends who've been praying and walking with her. And I want us to listen to not a fear, but the strength and hope and power over death because her confidence is in something bigger than what this world could give. And listen to what she says in her own words. Um, she wrote, Young took the last breath this morning at 9.30 a.m. My friend Sarah from Campus Crusade for Christ was there with us. She sang, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, as he was taking the last few breaths on this earth. I had the privilege to wipe his last tear as the Lord Young men's days of pain have finally come to an end, and he is now praising with the angels and the saints in full glory. Thank you, everyone, for your continued prayers and support. God's will has been done, and he has found this outcome to give himself the most glory. So in our sadness and grief, we can still rejoice in knowing that God's kingdom has been furthered. And I sense, I was like, what? You just lost your husband, and how could you type this with such strength, dignity, and honesty, and faith? Because her fears in Jesus Christ are shattered. And the one who holds life and death and eternity is the very one ushering her husband home. How do you and I overcome fear of man? Shift it to the fear in awe, worship, and beauty of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, who holds life and even death, and he overcomes it. And there's a practical element. It doesn't mean just pray when you're afraid. It means, there's, hey, if there's a snake, run away. There's a car coming at you, jump. But we don't have to live in this paralyzed anxiety with a God who says, I love you. I sent my done to shatter this divide that the fear that was caused when the rebellion happened in the garden has been undone with the resurrection of my son. Would you join us? We welcome Jesus Christ and live in his confidence, security that he is with us. He is our shield, and we could walk through. And David says, but I will trust in the Lord God. May your trust and strength be in Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer?